0: All right, logical fallacies. I wanted to show you the book. This is, like I mentioned, it's just a small book, Discerning Truth by Dr. Jason Lyle. Uh, Much of the information that's in the slides is taken directly from this book. And the idea behind this study is for us to be able to know how to think and know how to answer things. All of us hear a question or a statement that doesn't sound right. The purpose of this study is to help us to establish... um, Patterns of thinking, and we have the handouts from last week, from the first two uh, sessions on this, and then next week we'll have a handout for all of this material uh, that we're going to cover tonight, all right? So building a biblical framework, I'm sorry, building a framework for biblical thinking, identifying logical fallacies. What is logic? Logic is the study of correct and incorrect reasoning, correct and incorrect reasoning. Let's, um, let's take that conversation of dancing and let's try and apply Christian thinking to it. Considering that most dancing today would be associated with something... when If you ask somebody, who's a good dancer today? They're going to say Jennifer Lopez, Beyonce, something like that. Would you all agree? With, uh, we're not going to get a lot of Fred Astaire's, I don't think. Okay? So... Um, As a Christian, when we're talking about something like that, if we're just going to reason it, that lifestyle, that behavior, um, obviously that's not something that Christians would participate in. All right? Now, the the, the Jewish dancing that David participated in, uh, he, he looked so foolish his wife was embarrassed by him. Remember that? Remember that? What was that? What kind of dancing was that? Um, I, I'd not, I don't picture Michael Jackson. Woo-hoo! That's not a more like Faherty's introduction on his show. But. Um, so th- th- just reasonably looking at that holiness and not holiness, uh, what, what's not holy, it's very difficult for the young people because the popular culture, the, the musicians of your day... They're just raunchy. They're filthy. It's interesting, isn't it? Crazy. Crazy world. All right. What is logic? The the study of correct and incorrect reasoning. A Christian thinking that Beyonce is behaving properly, that is an example of incorrect reasoning, of a a corrupt mind. And there's no amens or anything. Everybody's real nervous and quiet. Beyonce's behavior, any Christian that thinks that Beyonce's behavior is Christian is simply mistaken. Amen, um, and that's the culture. All right. So, what are logical fallacies? They're mistakes in reasoning. And I'm not trying to browbeat you all on that kind of stuff. It's just you're tired and falling asleep because I'm rambling. And uh, but I just want I just want the young people to understand that the adults in here understand that uh, w- would agree that things like Beyonce and Jennifer Lopez and all that stuff it's just wickedness, man. It is wi- it's stuff that they would have put you in jail for 50 years ago. I'm serious. Um, okay, so what are logical fallacies, mistakes, and reasoning? The first that we looked at was reification. Reification is attributing a concrete characteristic to something that is abstract. Um, So it would be saying uh, science tells us or history tells us. History doesn't tell us anything. History has to be interpreted, recorded, all of those things. Science doesn't tell us anything. Equivocation. Equivocation, most words have a range of possible meanings, but only one of these meanings will properly fit the given context. When someone shifts from one meaning of a word to another within an argument... He or she has committed the fallacy of equivocation. In Sunday school today, we were talking about the term humanist. Humanist. Um, You will hear that the founders of our country were humanists. They were humanists. Well, that's true in the sense that they believed in the rights of man. Modern humanism means that you don't believe in the supernatural. It's a rejection of the supernatural. So when our children are taught that the founders were humanists... They're being taught that the founders didn't believe in the supernatural, which is ridiculous because they mention him in every one of our founding documents. What is that? That's equivocation. That's using one term in two different ways without telling the audience. All right? That's a logical fallacy. Begging the question. This fallacy is committed when a person merely assumes what he or she is attempting to prove or when the premise of an argument actually depends upon its conclusion. Let me give you an example. Evolution must be true because it is a fact. That's begging the question. The the, the, the question at hand is, is evolution true? Well, it must be true because it's a fact. We don't know if it's a fact. That's what we're discussing. This is a logical fallacy. Uh, The Bible cannot be true because it contains miracles, and miracles violate the laws of nature. That's what a miracle is. A miracle is God overriding the laws of nature that he established. He made the laws. He can break the laws. All right. Um, the, begging the, que- or the question begging epithet. So what this is, is uh, the arguer uses biased, often emotional language to persuade people rather than using logic. Here's how that happens. And we just saw this in uh, Ferguson, Missouri. If a reporter said this criminal is charged with viol- violently murdering the innocent victim, Okay, so this is the way the police officer has been described in Ferguson. That's not an honest report. We don't have any idea what happened. We know that the officer is accused of shooting the unarmed uh, young man. That's a fair statement. That's a statement of fact. All right? Um, So here, he would be using a question-begging epithet because he has biased language to make a case that is not yet logically established. It would have been more objective for him to say, this suspect is charged with killing the other person. Of course, that is gone from uh, journalism. Uh, someone tell me who is the person that is most responsible for an accurate statement like that being gone from journalism? Who's most responsible for it? In America. William Randolph Hearst. Remember Patty Hearst? uh, Who was it that uh, kidnapped her? Symbian Symbian Liberation Army. Yeah, good job. Good job, Carol. Uh, She was uh, uh, an heiress to the the fortune, and he he had all these newspapers. Anyone ever see the movie Citizen Kane? It's based on Orson Welles. Young people don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Um, that's based on William Randolph Hearst. And he is the, the father of what's called yellow journalism. And the purpose of it was just to be spectacular in order to sell papers. And a descriptor, this kind of a descriptor, he's charged with violently murdering the innocent victim, that's yellow journalism. This down here, this suspect is charged with killing the other person, that's straight journalism. It's harder to sell papers this way. And so it all goes back to, to him in America. All right, so the next logical fallacy is the complex question. If some of you weren't here for the other study, all of the information about these is in the handout that's available for you out on the table, along with the CD from last week. This is the interrogative form of begging the question, the complex question. Attempting to persuade by asking a loaded question. Have you stopped beating your wife? That's a complex question, because that should be divided into two questions. Number one, did you ever beat your wife? If so... Have you now stopped doing this? All right. Bifurcation. This is new for uh, tonight. This, uh, This logical fallacy, it happens so often. And especially in theology, this happens. And I'll show you, I'll give you some examples of it. This fallacy occurs when someone claims that there are only two mutually exclusive possibilities, when in fact, there is a third option or more. I'll give you one example. Um, A a preacher will be asked, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? Are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? All right, well, Arminian, if you're an Arminian, you don't believe in eternal security. um, You believe in a works-based salvation, and that salvation is based on the decision of man. Anybody here believe that? All right? If you're Calvinist, you believe that God chose some people for heaven and some people for hell and that those that are chosen for hell have no possibility for salvation and those that are chosen for heaven have no possibility of hell. Anybody here believe that? And yet, in theology, you are crammed into this bifurcation of either Calvinist or Arminian. How about this one? Let's throw in a third one. How about Bible believer? Right? Right? And that's, that gives you an idea of what bifurcation is. Um, for this reason, the fallacy is also known as the either-or fallacy and the false dilemma. Uh, either the traffic light is red or it is green. Okay, so what's the problem, young people? What's the problem with this statement? It might, be it might also be yellow. Right? So this is a, this is a, a bifurcation. There's, there's another answer. There are not just two. All right, now we could go into, are they contrary, are they contradictory, and get into more technical things, but we're not going to do that tonight. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. Um, This is obviously fallacious, since the light could be yellow. All right? Either you have faith or you are rational. This commits the fallacy of bifurcation, since there is a third possibility. We can have faith and be rational. Amen? Amen? In fact, faith is essential in order to have rationality. Otherwise, where did we come from? Monkeys? It's silly. What's that? Why are there still monkeys? Uh, yeah, I, I heard that just the other day in that Larry King thing I was talking about. Chad said, why, if, if evolution is true, why are there still monkeys? That's a good question. Now, it is harder to disprove evolution when we have things right here on the front row that seem in between. But... <laughs> All right. That wasn't kind, was it? Pretty true, though. All right. Either the universe operates in a law-like fashion or God is constantly performing miracles. How many of you remember Ernest Ainsley? Ainsley. Ernest Ainsley. There's your miracle. You know, the idea of coming to a miracle service, if it can happen on demand... It's not a miracle. It's normative. All right, I, do y'all, have you all see the one where he went to heal the girl? She couldn't talk, and she couldn't talk well. She couldn't hear, so he puts his fingers in her ears, and goes like this. And she, he said, "Say, say, baby." And she said, baby. And he said, "She needs a little mower." And he went like this, and it didn't, it didn't it really happen. I promise, I'm not making it up. Oh man. All right. This is also fallacious because a third possibility exists: the universe operates in a law-like fashion most of the time, and God occasionally performs miracles. Amen. That's that's a clear worldview, and that's a, a part of it that we'll get to in a minute. Sometimes the origins debate is framed as faith versus reason, science or religion, or the Bible versus science. See, these bifurcations, it's as if if you believe the Bible, you can't believe in science. Did anybody see the Bill Nye-Ken Ham debate? That's exactly what he kept saying, as if Ken Ham doesn't believe in science. He's given his life to science. It's interesting. These are all false dilemmas. Likewise, science and religion, the Christian religion to be specific, are not mutually exclusive. In fact, it is the Christian system that makes sense of science and the uniformity of nature. There's no way to explain this world apart from what the Bible tells us. You can't explain it. You can't explain it at all. Likewise, the debate should never be framed as the Bible versus science, since the procedures of science are fully compatible with the Bible. Come, let us reason together. The Bible is a, bit, is a, is a reasonable book written by a highly logical God. In fact, science is based on the biblical worldview. Science requires predictability in nature, which is only made possible by the fact that God upholds the universe in a consistent way that is congenial to human understanding. Such predictability just wouldn't make sense in a chance universe. Folks, young people especially, there is not a chance that all of this just happened by itself. It's ridiculous. It is simply ridiculous based on the laws of mathematics for all of this to have just happened. Now, if you young people ask me, Pastor Jim, what are the laws of mathematics? I'll say, I have no idea. I don't know. But people who are a lot smarter than me in that area could tell you that it violates the laws of mathematics. And we'll deal with that uh, idea of uh, authority here in a minute. The fallacy of bifurcation may be more difficult to spot when the person merely implies that only two options exist rather than explicitly stating it. So let me show you what that means. I could never live by faith because I'm a rational person. Now, I'll tell you, what is interesting to me is we're considered mean. Christians are considered mean. This is a condescending statement. Oh, I'm not rational. I just do whatever I want to do. I run in traffic, jump off buildings. It's just silly. It's just silly. Um, this sentence tacitly presents us with only two options, either faith or rationality. A rational person must have some degree of faith. So the Christian takes the third unmentioned option, faith and rationality. Colossians one seventeen says this, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. All right? That's what the Bible says. So we understand... Um, here, let me show you another passage. The Bible says, Who being the brightness of his glory, speaking of Jesus, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is what we believe, is that right? That Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of His power. Well, this is the way that we will be attacked for that. This is something that an evolutionist might say. The Bible teaches that in Christ, uh, uh, that in Christ all things hold together. That's another translation of that, all right? It's a very poor translation of it, by the way. The Bible teaches that in Christ all things hold together but we know that the forces of gravity and electromagnetism are what hold the universe together. All right, now let me ask you a question. Do we know that? No. Do we have anybody here that is into um, you know, physics and understanding the properties of the atom and uh, th- that type of thing? Because if we did, they would tell you, we really have no idea how it all stays together. Lots of uh, ideas, but actual knowledge as to how it stays together, we don't know. So this statement, that's that's clearly an overstatement. I do know how it all holds together. Jesus Christ holds it together with the word of his power. And one day he's going to say, go. And it's all going to go away. All right. Now, this is an example of the fallacy of bifurcation because the critic has implicitly assumed that either God holds the universe together or gravity and electric ma- and electromagnetism do. However, these are not exclusive. Gravity and electromagnetism are simply the names we give to the way in which God holds the universe together. Now, my information might be dated. Maybe they do have solid, concrete information about how an atom stays together now. Okay? I don't think they do. But let's say that it was gravity and electromagnetism. Well, God is the one who's doing that. He's holding it together, and it's by, by Him they consist. All right? The laws of nature are not a replacement for God's power. Rather, they're an example of God's power. And this is all so important. Um, Carl Sagan said that because we now understand what it takes for a planet to sustain life. Um, and and he, had, he called it the anthropic principle. And he said that there are 19 specific characteristics that are necessary for a planet to sustain life. And there are things like the planet has to have a certain amount of mass in order for there to be gravity. all right? It has to have a moon so that the tides work properly. There has to be water. Why do you think they're trying to find water on Mars? There has to be water. Um, There has to be a specific size of sun and the planet has to be a specific distance from that sun. These are just some of the things that Sagan said that we would find. And he said, since we know what they are now and since we have the ability to look into the universe, we will surely find many, many more options. They've not found one. These people are disproven over and over and over again by their own science. It's not a chance. God did this for us. Isn't that awesome? He put those two lights up in the sky and then he made the stars also. He did all of that for us. Now, you might say, Pastor Jim, are you sure that there is um, no life on any other planet? I don't have any idea. I know that the first man was Adam. You know, if there are transformers out there or whatever, I just don't know. Do you all know who President Obama's favorite transformer was? <laughs> Karl Marx? Anyway, go ahead. Um, that's quality humor there. Just to... Okay, so the laws of nature are not a replacement for God's power. Rather, they are an example of God's power. All right. You must not really believe that God is going to answer your request for healing. Otherwise, you would not have gone to the doctor. People say these kinds of things about Christians. All right. But the Christian believes the implicit false dilemma here is that either the doctor will help the person or God will. But why can't it be both? God can use human actions as part of the means by which he accomplishes his will. I heard this story just this week. Um, This pastor was a real adrenaline junkie, and he'd like to jump out of airplanes and do all kinds of things. Well, he had a man in his church that's a heart surgeon. So he persuaded the doctor, got the permission of the patient to be in the operating room when the guy did open-heart surgery. And so he did surgery on this. The surgeon is doing surgery on this lady. She was an older lady. And... They finished the bypass or whatever it was they had done, and the heart wouldn't start beating again. And this pastor's standing there thinking, I'm going to watch. I'm going to be here when this lady, when this, this doctor loses this lady on the operating table, and he starts praying. And the doctor touches the lady on the shoulder and says, Mrs. Smith, this is your surgeon, doctor so-and-so, Um, we have finished your procedure. Your heart is fine. Tell it to beat again. He said that to her a couple of times. The preacher's praying over on the side and her heart starts beating again. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Who did that? The doctor or God? Who here knows the answer? God used the doctor to accomplish this. Um... So, there we are. I'm so thankful for Christian doctors, aren't you? Amen. I'm thankful for Christian doctors. Um, I'm thankful for unsaved doctors when I'm sick. <laughs> right? God can do this. God can use doctors. The only way that doctors even know what to do is because God created the body in such a way that doctors could understand what's going on. All right? In some situations, there, are, there really are only two options. Here's 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. That's one option. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those that have the Son and they have life, or that don't have the Son and they don't have life. That's not a bifurcation. Those are the only two options. All right. So that's not a logical fallacy. Jesus states... He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. He has not committed any fallacy because God is in a position to tell us that there is no third or neutral option. I want you to notice something. There's not really a neutral option. An attempt to be neutral toward God is sinful and is therefore non-neutral. Yeah, I can take God or leave Him. No, 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 no. You're required to accept Him. Right? So, here are some other examples of bifurcation. Either evolution is true or everything we know about the world is wrong. I love those statements. It's made me laugh. Either you have reasons for what you believe or you simply take it on faith. Either you have reasons for what you believe or you simply take it on faith. Why do you believe in the Big Bang? Were you there? Okay, so you have this explosion and things come out of it spinning opposite directions. Really? Really? show me the physics behind that i wouldn't understand it if you did but all right either you have reasons for what you believe or you, have, or you simply take it on faith i would never be a creationist because i'm rational and that's either creation or rationality uh, well do you believe the universe is governed by natural laws or do you believe it is upheld by the hand of god i believe that god established natural laws and he upholds it by the word of his power i listen to the holy spirit to tell me what to do not the text of the bible People say those kinds of things. They say those kinds of things. Um, either the Holy Spirit or the Bible when it should be the Holy Spirit by the Bible. Right? I mean, they're charismatics. You'll talk to them and you'll say, they'll, say, they'll give you some kind of experience. You'll say, well, the Bible says this. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. I know what happened to me. Okay, so you're the authority, not the Bible. Does God determine our actions or do we have freedom of choice? How about God determined we'd have freedom of choice? Which is the reality in it. Okay, so the next of our logical fallacies is the ad hominem attack, the ad hominem. The phrase ad hominem is Latin, and it means to the man, to the man. The fallacy is so named because it directs an argument against the person making a claim rather than the claim itself. So Patrick comes to me and says, uh, Pastor Jim, the, rise, the, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. You're stupid. That's not an answer. That, yeah, I, I believe in creation. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six days and set the whole world in motion. Well, you're stupid. You believe that because you're stupid. Oh, good argument. Thank you. I was talking to a Calvinist one time. And I told him, uh, you know, Calvinists believe that everything is God's will and that nothing happens that's not according to God's will. Um, And so I said to him, well, I guess it's just not God's will that i be a Calvinist. And, well, maybe you're just not saved. Good answer. Great. And that's what I said to him. Great response. Really well thought out. And I told him, I said, the reason you responded that way is because you can't answer the statement. It's interesting, isn't it? And that's where the ad hominem attack comes in. And you'll see this constantly in the creation debate or anything having to do with Christians. The fallacy is so named because it directs an argument against the person making a claim rather than the claim itself. The critic hopes that people will reject his opponent's claim simply on the basis that there is something, something objectionable about the person making the claim. Uh, so Sarah Palin runs for vice president. And because of the way she speaks, the, the, her, the, her accent and her, her manner of speaking, the New York uh, socialites, the elites, they call her stupid. They can't answer her arguments, but they call her stupid. How many of you remember that happening? And, of course, John Stewart... This is, or uh, uh, Marr, what's his first name? Bill Bill Marr. Those people, when you confront them in an argument, they'll just call you stupid or mock you or do something like that to make the crowd laugh. They never have to actually answer the argument. And this is where I wish people would would hold their feet to the fire on that. All right? Um, For example, you cannot honestly accept John's claims about politics because he can't even find a job. Well, maybe he can't find a job because of the politics that he's talking about. It doesn't have anything to do with the reality of his statement. How many of you know really sharp people that are not working the job that that they really ought to be working right now? So someone makes a statement like this. It doesn't have anything to do with the argument. It's an ad hominem attack. However, John's inability to find employment is logically irrelevant to the political claim he is making. Um. I'll give you the, the probably the best example I can think of on that is How many of you remember Joe the plumber? Um, well, he was attacked for not being a plumber. Isn't that interesting? Well, he wasn't employed. He, he was working for himself. He didn't have a job working for a plumbing firm, but he was a, he was a plumber. It, it's just so interesting. He goes to Monclover Road Baptist Church up in uh, uh, Toledo where... The Allsteaders go now. It's a pretty cool deal. Um, So this fallacy comes in two varieties, abusive ad hominem and circumstantial ad hominem. Uh, In the abusive ad hominem, the critic attacks his opponent's character or insults him in an attempt to discredit him in the eyes of the audience. Uh, It's logically fallacious because a person's character or lack thereof is logically irrelevant to the validity of his argument. And I think this is one of the areas that we really failed in with someone like Bill Clinton. Um, Now, let me just be very clear on this. Character does matter. in a leader, character does matter. But we didn't need his infidelity to destroy his arguments. Right? And and people got very hung up on that. Um, Even if the critics' negative claims about his opponent are true... For example, he really is a draft dodger or he really did spend time in jail. This has no bearing on the position he's advocating. Name-calling is perhaps the most obvious form of the abuse of ad hominem fallacy, and that's what kids do, right? When they're arguing with each other, they'll be talking about something, and next thing you know, they're just calling each other names, right? You know, like on Sean Hannity Show or whatever. That's the... The circumstantial ad hominem fallacy is when a critic simply dismisses a person's argument based on the arguer's circumstances. And this is the one that we as believers will deal with a lot. Um, Suppose Susie, this is all from Dr. Lyle, suppose Susie makes an argument that taxes on gasoline should be increased. Now, Susie's stupid. (laughs) It's an ad hominem, okay? (laughs) Okay. Her opponent, Bobby, tries to refute this by pointing out that Susie's job is tax-supported, so she is strongly motivated to argue for higher taxes. Bobby concludes that Susie's argument is wrong since Susie has a bias. Bobby has committed the circumstantial ad hominem fallacy. Just because Susie is strongly motivated to defend a particular position does not mean that her argument is faulty. Right? Like this. I believe that um, believers, that it's the role of the believer to finance the operation of the church. Well, you just believe that because that's where you get your paycheck. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you all give more, I could get a raise. I can tell you that. But no. The, my, my argument for that is scriptural. It doesn't have anything to do with how much I get paid. That doesn't have anything to do with the argument. And yet, let me say this, be careful, it's it's important to remember those connections. The Bible describes some pastors as the only thing that they're out to do is feed their own belly. It's important to keep those things in mind when you hear someone say something. Amen? But that doesn't have anything to do with the argument itself. It's either true or it's not true. It doesn't have anything to do with where I get my money. See what I'm saying? Does that make sense? A non-Christian might argue Christianity isn't true. You just believe in Christianity because you were brought up in a Christian home. If you were brought up in the Islamic religion, you would be a Muslim now. Now, that's an opinion, but it's not a statement of fact. Right? There are many Muslims that are believers. People raised Muslim that are believers now. My mom was raised Roman Catholic. She didn't die a Roman Catholic. All right? Someone gave her the gospel. She got saved. While it may be true that I am much more likely to become a Christian by virtue of being reared in a Christian home, this is utterly irrelevant to whether or not I have a really good logical argument for Christianity. I was raised in a Christian home. I am thankful for godly parents. That doesn't have anything to do with my arguments for Christianity, except for my experiential arguments, which are good in any case, right? The testimony. Um, it would be just like saying, you just believe in the multiplication table because you were taught it in school. How many of you know people who never went to school that have to do math in their jobs? Yeah, now it doesn't happen so much anymore, but how many of your, your grandparents, or your great-grandparents didn't go to school, but they functioned just fine in society, right? This, this, this gives you an example of the, of the fallacious nature of that argument. It is true that I probably would not have discovered the multiplication table without someone teaching it to me. But this does not mean that I don't have some really good reasons to continue to believe in the multiplication table. Cause and reason. This is something that's important in understanding this particular fallacy. What is the cause of a person believing in the Christian worldview? Many factors may have contributed. contributed. Conversations with family, a sermon, prayers of friends, and ultimately the Holy Spirit. That's the cause. All right? What's the reason? The rational justification for a person believing in the Christian worldview. One really good reason would be that Christianity alone can account for the laws of logic and science. See, reasons and cause are different things. Young people, let me let me bring this one home to you. I was raised in a Christian home when I was, oh, 19 or 20. I was in Bible college, and um, the Bible college I was going to, there were a lot of jerks there. And so I decided that I was going to leave. I was going to go to Chicago, get a job, and just forget about all this stuff. And I was in my mind, I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to remain a Christian. That was going on in my mind. A friend gave me a set of books uh, by Francis Schaeffer called The Complete Works of Francis Schaeffer. I started reading those things. And it was, one of them was called Escape from Reason, The God Who Is Not There. He is not there, or He is there and He is not silent. There are books that, that really help to explain who God is and how He works in society. So here's what happened. I was raised in a Christian home, and, and my parents were godly, and I was raised in a way that, that, that would bring glory to God. Based on my own experience as I got older, I wondered whether or not that was true. I went and investigated it. And you know what I found out? It's true. It's true. So in one sense, am I a Christian because my parents were Christians? Yes, I, I praise God for the influence of my parents. My dad you know after I got saved, my dad baptized me. Praise God, I'm so thankful for that. Why am I a preacher today? Because I investigated the truth of the Word of God and I believe it based on logical facts, the truth of the Word of God. So am I a preacher today because my dad was a preacher? Yeah. Am I a preacher today because I examined the facts and realized that that's the truth and God gave me the ability to communicate it? Yeah. So this, you see how these arguments, they're just, they don't have anything to do with the reality. In the above examples the critic is arbitrarily dismissing a reason for a position on the basis that he does not like the cause of the person coming to the position to that position. By such a dismissal, but such a dismissal is logically unwarranted and fallacious. Your personal experience your personal experience does not qualify you or disqualify you For arguing the truth. The truth is the truth. All right? All right. Not all references to a person's character are necessarily ad hominem fallacies. If a person makes a particular assertion, not an argument but merely an assertion, and if it can be demonstrated that the person is generally dishonest, it would be perfectly appropriate and relevant to point out that his dishonesty calls into question his credibility on the claim. Now, let's give an example of that. In Ferguson, you had this young man that was with Michael, what's his last name? Michael Brown. All right, they they had just robbed a store together. All right, and so this guy is talking about how the police, he was running away, and then he gave up, and after he had given up, the police officer just shot him. All right, that's the statement that this guy made. Well, we come to find out that he has an outstanding warrant for lying to the police. Now, that might not change the truthfulness of his statement. But it calls into question his ability to make a truthful statement about something that is asserted without evidence. You see? And that's where, that's not an ad hominem attack. That's something that's completely different. All right even this does not disprove the person's assertion since generally, uh, since a generally dishonest person will sometimes tell the truth. Bill Clinton told the truth by mistake a couple of times. <laughs> Moreover, if the person makes an argument, his or her alleged dishonesty is totally irrelevant to the validity of that argument. An argument is not the same as an assertion. We could Get into some definitions there, but just understand that. So, here's some examples. If you don't believe in evolution, then you're, just pretty much a, then you're pretty much just a moron. Creationists are really uneducated. You shouldn't bother listening to their arguments. What is this? This is ad hominem attacks Don't have anything to do with facts. The reason you believe in creation is because you were raised in a Christian home. The folks at Answers in Genesis argue for creation because if they didn't, they would be fired. It may be true. You simply believe in God as an intellectual crutch. You cannot stand the thought of being alone in the universe, so you invent an imaginary friend. Oh, what was that guy's name? <laughs> no. <laughs> what does he have to do with the imaginary friend? Help me out. Okay. All right. He's not smart enough to come up with that. Many others had said it before him. Um, Harvey, the, was Harvey the six-foot rabbit, right? That's, that's what our God is? That's insane. Any pejorative language directed at a person without logical support. Well, of course you believe in creation. You work at a Christian school. Then the next one is a faulty appeal to authority. You young people will deal with this often. When you get older, you don't care about this stuff as much. When you're young, especially in college, these things become really important to you. When you get older, you know, you're 60 years old, the experts, you've lived long enough to know that experts are often wrong. All right? How many of you have seen the uh, food pyramid? How many of you know that that has been proven to be completely false? It was based on one doctor's uh, ideas. It wasn't researched. It was just put out there. And so we have millions of obese people because the food pyramid is garbage. That's a fact. Unbelievable experts. All right, faulty appeal to authority. The faulty appeal to authority is in a way the opposite of the ad hominem fallacy. Whereas the ad hominem fallacy denies a claim based on the person making it, The faulty appeal to authority endorses a claim simply based on the person making it. So this is the opposite. Um, Chad, I can't believe you because you're stupid. Uh, I have to believe Patrick because he has this particular degree. See, this is the ad hominem attack. This is the faulty appeal to authority. All right? Chad, you're not really stupid. It was an example. I didn't hurt your feelers, did I? Okay. Okay. All right, he's a fireman. You have to be careful. They're sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, I told Chad, or I mean, uh, uh, Josh Divins, we saw on the news that, uh, that these paramedics had responded to this house where a guy had been out mowing the lawn and he had a heart attack and he died. And the fireman went back and mowed the grass and left a note, can we help you? If you can help you with anything, let us know. And, I told that to Josh this morning, and Dave's here, so I'll tell you. You guys need to step up your game. What are you guys going to (laughs) do? All right. So essentially, the faulty appeal to authority is the argument that a claim is true simply because someone else believes it. I believe it because my dad believes it, and I trust my dad. All right? Now, for you young people, that's really a very good reason. All right? That's where we start. We start by getting, being influenced by people that God brings into our lives that we trust. Amen. Ultimately, you've got to have better reasons than that. Amen? Amen. Uh, the basic structure of the argument is this. Bill believes X. Therefore, X is true. That that's doesn't prove anything. Often the person to whom the appeal is made is considered highly esteemed for one reason or another. But the truthfulness of the claim at issue is not necessarily rele- uh, relevant To the popularity of the individual making the claim. And this is what happens in politics now. You have um, the Colbert, the Colbert Report, or uh, Jon Stewart, and they speak for so many young people, and young people make their decisions based on these guys. Those guys, they're they're comedians, they they don't know anything. It's very interesting. Um, Now, that was an ad hominem. Right? That was an ad hominem. But the simple fact is, they don't know anything. (laughs) Dr. Bill has a Ph.D. in biology, and he believes in evolution. Oh, let's all believe in evolution then! The problem is, the unstated conclusion is that evolution must therefore be true, or it is at least likely to be true. But such an argument is fallacious. After all, we can equally point out that Dr. Dave also has a Ph.D. in biology and he believes in biblical creation. Is truth based on these guys? It's like I was talking to a preacher one time about something doctrinally, uh, doctrinal in scriptures. And he said this to me. He said, so are you telling me I've been teaching it wrong for 30 years? I said, I didn't know we were talking about you. I thought we were talking about the truth of doctrine." We can determine later on whether or not you've taught it wrong. The question is, what's true? Amen? Um, Jim has a doctorate in theology, and he says it's okay to believe in evolution in the Bible. This is um, what uh, Bill Clinton did when he changed his position on abortion. Remember, as governor of Arkansas, he had to be a Southern Baptist, and he had to uh, believe in uh, life. But to run on the national Democratic ticket, he had to endorse abortion. So he went to talk to his Southern Baptist pastor, and his Southern Baptist pastor said the Bible doesn't say anything about abortion. What is that? That's a faulty appeal to authority. Okay? Let me see if anyone's ever heard this. Thou shall not kill. All right? I could help that preacher out a little bit. Um, So that's a faulty appeal to authority. Again we could certainly find many qualified theologians who would state the exact opposite. While it's okay to consider what a theologian has to say about the Bible, it is infinitely more important to consider what the Bible actually states. The Presbyterian uh, evangelist, Billy Sunday, he said, if the Bible says one thing and scholarship says another, scholarship can just go to hell. And he was mocked roundly for that. He didn't say all scholarship should go to hell. He said if it disagrees with the Bible, it's going to go to hell, right? Um, Now, that is a little bit of a reification if you think about that. Scholarship doesn't go to hell. Scholars do, right? Um, If an expert on U.S. law claimed that the Constitution does not contain the phrase we the people, would that make it so? We could easily refute his claim by simply reading from an actual copy of the Constitution. We really ought to show one of those to the president, don't you think? I think that would be a really good idea. Um, isn't, this, isn't this a good example of it, though? Just because a legal expert says we the people's not in the Constitution, all you have to do is look at the Constitution. It's there. The fact that he's a legal expert doesn't change the fact. Not all faulty appeals, Not all appeals to authority are faulty. It is legitimate to consider the opinion of an expert on a particular topic. So when does the appeal to authority become a fallacy? All of us appeal to authority. If I had a question about welding, I'd go to Dan New. He's the most qualified welder that I know. If I had a question about flying airplanes, I'm not going to Doug Schmidtmeyer. I love you, buddy. But, you're not but running a line at Honda with engine blocks, you're the guy that I know that knows how to do that. If I'm going to learn how to fly a plane, I'm going to talk to Eric back there. Right? Don't ask Amelia Earhart. That didn't work out. All right, now. That was a little funny. Come on, that was a little. Um, So when does it become a fallacy? Well, there are three common ways in which this occurs, maybe four. Appealing to an expert in an area that is not his area of expertise. So this is where it's so good. Young people, you have a biologist that says, I am a biologist. This happened with uh, one of Lydia's teachers. I called this guy and he, his training was in biology and he was defending evolution. And so here's what happens. This, you have a doctor in biology. Our hypothetical Dr. Bill may indeed have a PhD in biology. And that qualifies him to say something about how organisms function today. But does knowledge of how things work today necessarily imply knowledge of how things came to be? It's a separate question. Okay, they're really technical. Let me get a technical question. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Have you ever heard that? All right? How do we know the chicken came first? How do you know he didn't create the egg first? Okay, so we have an authority. We have an authority to appeal to. Does the biologist know the answer to that question? What came first, the chicken or the egg? The dinosaur did. <laughs> the experiments Dr. Bill has done and the observation he has, observations he has made have all taken place in the present world. He has no more direct observations of the ancient past than anybody else does. He's not an authority on origins. He's an authority on biology, right? So that, that's why it's a faulty appeal to authority. The question of origins is a history question that deals with worldviews. It is not really a biology question. And so Dr. Bill's opinion on the topic of origins isn't necessarily any more qualified than any other opinion. I watched um, Kent Hoven. We had him in... And uh, I set up a debate at Oklahoma State in the grand Ballroom, tons of people there, between Kent Hoven and the biology, the head of the biology department at Oklahoma State. Kent Hoven destroyed him. It wasn 't even funny. This guy it, it got so bad that this biology professor said, um, "Mr. Alter didn 't tell me this was going to be a debate." He had on the, the wall of his classroom debate. Evolution versus Christianity. Isn't that interesting? He, what did he get back to? Ad, ad hominem. Because Dr. Hovind had destroyed him. And you know what Hovind would say? You're a doc- I'm a high school biology. I'm a high school science teacher. You're the head of the biology department. Answer the questions. He couldn't answer Dr. Hovind's questions. It wasn't a matter of biology. It's a matter of worldviews. And our worldview is correct. So we can always win those debates, always win those arguments. Here's another example. Holy cow, I've gone too long. Sorry, folks. Failure to consider the, the worldview of the expert and how this might affect his interpretation of the data. This is You know what's so awesome about this? Laura's in the nursery. Yes. We all have a, wor- a, a world and life view. A philosophy that guides our understanding of the universe. When we interpret scientific and historical evidence, we use this philosophy to draw conclusions. So my worldview is I believe in God and I'm going to investigate, and that's the worldview I'm going to look at it through. The evolutionist says there is no God, so I've got to try and explain this apart from any kind of supernatural influence. The worldview influences are... Uh, observations. The fact that Dr. Bill believes in evolution means that he is predisposed to interpret evidence in a particular way. A creationist with the same credentials might draw a very different conclusion from the same evidence. So while I may put confidence in what Dr. Bill says about the structure of a particular protein that he has studied under the microscope, I would not put much confidence in his opinions on questions of origins, since his bias in that area is faulty. All right? Imagine being an electrician that doesn't believe in conductivity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we can help you with that, right? Uh, but that's the same concept. Treating a fallible expert as infallible. We should also keep in mind that even experts do not know everything. They can make mistakes even in their own field. Some new discovery may cause a scientist to change his mind about something that he thought he knew. Um, I am blessed in that I have every sermon I've ever preached on my computer. From the time I started preaching, I've had a computer. So I have access to every sermon that I've ever preached. All right? That's not so much a blessing. Because sometimes I'll be looking, I'll remember that I have preached a text, I'll pull out that sermon from 15 years ago, I'll look at it and I go, Oh, Lord, did I say that? Why? Because I've learned some stuff since then. If, if I was your expert, then we'd have a problem. But since this is our authority, then the communicator, when he is yielding to this, ought to change and grow. Amen? Amen? Um, It's very interesting. So this is treating a fallible expert as infallible. There's no such thing as an infallible expert. No such thing, other than God. Of course, if the expert had knowledge of everything and never lied, then there would be no fallacy in accepting his statements as absolutely true. But there aren't any of these. The Bible claims to be such an infallible source. A revelation from the God who knows everything and cannot lie. Thus, there is no fallacy in appealing to Scripture as absolutely authoritative. Would you all agree with that? See, but the, but the non-believer wouldn't agree with that. Some evolutionists have mistakenly accused creationists of committing the faulty appeal to authority on this very issue. Granted, the evolutionist may not believe that the Bible is an infallible source, but he would have to demonstrate this before accusing the creationists of a faulty appeal. Prove to me the Bible's wrong. Prove it. They can't. Amen. You take their you take their science book from 50 years ago, can we prove it wrong? Absolutely. Absolutely. The appeal to the authority of the majority. This one is just hilarious to me. This is when a person argues that a claim must be true simply because most people believe it. Most people think that that Beyonce is okay. They're wrong. Most people voted for Barack Obama. Most people who voted, if everybody would have voted, it wouldn't have happened, right? Shame on us. Different, different sermon. This is when a person argues that a claim must be true simply because most people believe it. But, of course, just because a majority of people believe something does not make it so. History is replete with examples of when the majority was totally wrong. Truth is not decided by a vote. Truth is not decided by a vote. Margaret Thatcher was talking about Bill Clinton. Someone asked her what she thought of him, and he, she said this, Consensus is the negation of leadership. Well, that's the difference between a republic and a democracy. That's the difference, mob rule or qualified rule. The appeal to the majority is often combined with the appeal to an expert and appeal to the majority of experts. Evolutionists often commit this double fallacy. They try to support their case by pointing out the vast majority of scientists believe in evolution. Therefore, evolution is very likely to be true. Simply adding two fallacies together does not form a good argument. Amen? How about nine out of ten dentists choose Crest? I want to know the one. What's he choosing? What's the one? We sometimes hear phrases like, according to mainstream science, the scientific establishment, or the scientific consensus. There was a time when the scientific consensus was the earth is flat. They were wrong. They were just wrong. Um, what is it that they had on the maps? Here be dragons. That was Dayton, by the way. Um, that was good. Come on, give me that. That was good. More examples. That was just off the top of my head, too. You all tipped me after this. By the veal. Um, if creation is true, then why do the vast majority of scientists believe in evolution? Of course, evolution is true. My, bio- my biology textbook says so. Dr. So-and-so believes in evolution, so clearly it's true. The scientific consensus is that the world is billions of years old, implying, therefore, we should believe it. Of course, all life evolved from a common ancestor. How could all those scientists be wrong? You trust what the scientists say about gravity, electricity, chemistry, etc. Why do you doubt what they say about evolution? Jim is one of the smartest people I know. I left that in because I thought that was a good statement. And he believes in evolution. Implication, therefore, we should too. All right, now, here's the last fallacy, the straw man fallacy. The straw man fallacy is when a person misrepresents his opponent's position and then proceeds to refute that misrepresentation, i.e., the straw man, rather than what his opponent actually claims. That fallacy, the straw man fallacy, is what Christians are accused of all the time. Christians don't believe in science. That's a straw man. Deal with our actual arguments. Amen? That's a straw man. And so, don't ever let anyone do that. So they'll describe some crazy theologian, and just say, "Well, that guy may be crazy. You may be right about him. That's not what I believe. That's not what we believe. That's not what the Bible says." So, there we are. How many of you have the logical fallacies memorized? There's going to, uh, Jet, you've got it. You're gonna, there's going to be a test. Uh, can you see how all of it, by understanding all of this, how it can help you to know how to think better? So we have all of these in the handout. Next week, you'll get the handout with this one on it. And uh, I, I hope that it's been a blessing.